Welcome to Sex for Smart People. Uh, on today's episode, we are joined by poet and activist and educator Mo Beasley. Mo founded Urban Erotica in 2001 and has over 20 years' experience as an activist and sexuality educator. Stick around. If you like what we're doing, maybe consider becoming our patron at patreon.com slash sexforsmartpeople. You can pledge a buck or two per episode, or 90, you know, or 100, 50,000, whatever, whatever, whatever is doable for you at the moment. Um, in the meantime, please be in touch with us. Send us your questions and concerns and thoughts and feedback and objections. Um, we receive a steady stream of this stuff, but we'd love to get more. We'd love to be bombarded. So you can find out the myriad ways of contacting us at sexforsmartpeople.com. Phone, email, anonymous question submission, carrier pigeon, the usual things. Thanks so much for being a part of this with us, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Enjoy. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to Sex for Smart People. I'm Dave, and my preferred pronoun is he. I'm Stephanie, and my preferred pronouns are she or they. Ah, I'm Mo Beasley, and my preferred pronoun is he. Great. Mo, yeah. I'm so happy that you're here with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, and I'm excited to dive in as we usually do. What is your relationship to relationships? Woo! What is my relationship to relationships? It is a struggle. Um, it is a struggle, and I don't know if it's just because of the city we live in. If it's, it's in New York City, and relationships seem to be so, so hard because mm-hmm. people who come here to this city, who are not from this city, tend to come here chasing a dream. Mm-hmm. And we are very serious about our grind to make those dreams come true. So relationships take a second, you know, take secondary priority at the best. Um, so it seems hard to develop those. Like you don't come to New York for a relationship, mm. you know, if you grow, if you grow up here and you stay here, then maybe you do because you're living in the auto boroughs. But if you're in, you know, in Manhattan and, and more and more in Brooklyn, if you're doing it, you're, again, you're grinding to make a dream come true. So relationships almost are not, uh, almost not an option or they happen by default, not by intention. Oh. So what dream are you grinding to make true? Woo, you I got yourself in that category. I'm grinding to make this um this evolution through art to come true. Like I'm an artist and activist. I believe that art sparks human evolution. And so I'm always trying to pose the most challenging questions to myself and to the audience I'm in front of about how we love each other better. Mm-hmm. So oh. So, you know, and that's really the bottom line. So how do we love each other better? How do we love ourselves better? Because it starts there and it, you know, it blossoms from there. And, and that's, that's my grind to create art, <clears throat> even entertainment that sparks that. And I love entertainment. I, funny, I, I love entertainment that sneaks up on you and you have a great time and you're laughing, even crying, but you showed up to just to have fun. And when you leave, you're challenged by new questions about yourself and the world. Like that's, you know, that's my grind. If you, yeah, if that's what it really is, it's about creating, creating, you know, these powerful questions through smart entertainment, smart, I, sexy entertainment. 
I certainly felt that way when I got to be present for the urban erotica that you curated at Catalyst Con. And oh, I just you. loved that. I was so moved by it. I'm wondering if you can you talk a little bit about what sparked you to begin that in the first place? That's been going on since 2001? 2001. I started at the Cutting Room on 23rd, at 24th and 6th, 5th Avenue. Um, and ironically, we're going back there. They have a brand new sexy space on 33rd and Park. Um, Fancy. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And it is. It's, it's majestic, the spot they have now. Steve Walter and Chris North. Um, I think folks know Chris North from uh, Sex in the City and Law and Mr. Order. Mr. Big. Mr. Big, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it Big or Big? I never. Oh, I, don't I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was always like, Mr. Big. Um, but I've yeah, never so seen we, Sex in the City. Ah, I've seen some, I don't feel so bad. No, I've, I've seen pieces of it. I've seen the movie and I've seen a few episodes. Um, but uh, it started back then, 2001, and it came out of. Um, it came out of erotic shows that I was doing around the city, especially at a spot called the Brooklyn Tea Party on Sunday nights about every two months or so. And they would have the erotic nights at the Brooklyn Tea Party. And it was a weekly open mic for poets and singers in Brooklyn. And, um, but they would have these erotic nights, and I would start re- reading there. And I started writing erotica probably in 91. So, that, so this is like 2000, 98, around 98. I started doing these erotic nights. And through, through those uh, sh- shows or open mics I started to encounter other artists who understood erotica as opposed to sex poetry where it really under- they understood the connection between the the divine and the or the secular and the sacred the physical and the spiritual and they understood that it wasn't just about some physical satisfaction or, ju- or objectification and so I wanted to create a space for those artists to express themselves I'm, I've been a sensual person sensualist some people call it all my life and always struggling to find a space, a welcoming space for it. So I created one where people, people who are really sexual and sensual and erotic and happy with it um, could express themselves. And so I created urban erotica out of that. I wanted a space where artists like us understood the power because in school, one of my mentors, a great mentor in theater, I studied theater since I was 17 and I went to college for it. And a mentor, a mentor said once that, uh, if an artist is not in touch with their erotic self, then their art is inauthentic because erotic energy is creative energy. That's how life is generated. So it is, a, it is the ultimate creative source. And if you are being, you know, if you're faking your sexuality or, your, or yeah, you, if you're faking your sexuality, then you're faking your art. And, and in college, I, I was introduced to a great essay called Erotic as Power by Audre Lorde. I was just rereading that today. Oh, nice. See, yeah. I'm still trying to un, un, unearth it all. Easy. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so thick in, one, in the best sense. Um, and a girlfriend in college, she, she uh, handed it, well, she gave me a book called Erotic Noir. Mm-hmm. And it was Black Erotica. So it was the first collection of erotica by people of color that I'd ever read, I'd ever seen. And this is back in the early 90s. And I thought, wow, oh, so cool that, you know, there's a, there is, there are other folks like me, the other, you know, dark folks like me who, who are delving into this. And there were people like Intazaki Shange, who's a great, powerful playwright, black woman, feminist um, playwright. And I'm like, oh, she's in this anthology. And then I, that's where I discovered Audre Lorde and Eroticus Power. And I had to read that title just made me had to made me read that essay. And it talked about America and how we objectify sex. Mm-hmm. And we miss we miss the mark. The humanity and the life force yes. connected to sex. Yeah. Right. And again, because that life force is feminine energy. And in a patriarchy, you can't have feminine energy having that much power. 
And so we got to keep it, you know, we got to keep it to TNA on the billboards and the magazines. But, you know, you can love, you know, we can have, we can be inundated with tits and ass on a billboard in a magazine as long as the tits and ass don't talk back. Mm. Right. And so, and Audre Lorde, like, and that's what I was, you know, that's what I got from reading that essay. And I was like, wow, what happens if actually we have a balanced, a, a balanced conversation around it? Mm. If male and females... And I'm talking about the energy of male and female energy have this balanced conversation, this equal conversation um, or equitable conversation. And, um, and again, I was a kid coming out of college thinking about this. So it had been with me for a while and I didn't have the language, but I was always searching. And then, so urban erotica I created because it was a great place to um, keep delving into the question with other people who were wrestling with it. You uh, ran into some resistance along the way too. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Back in the 90s, you're, like, you're a black poet doing erotica. It was, no, nah, you're supposed to be, it's only about poetry, power to the people. It's, you know, it's poetry for resistance and empowerment. And erotic poetry couldn't be empowerment. And so uh-huh. there, were, there were poets, and I love it now because there are poets who I worked with on the show um, who I knew I could, you know, I, I, have, I, have, a, I have a sixth sense for it. I, I can... I can smell an erotic artist. And so <laughs> I, you know, I'd see a sensual you know, artist on stage doing you know, political poetry and go social commentary. And I go, I have this show called Urban Erotica. And they'd be like, yeah, Mobis, I heard about your show. I was like, yeah, well, I think you'd be great for it. Well, I only do, you know, I only, I'm, it's about social justice and um, em- empowerment. So women's empowerment, people's, you know, people of color's empowerment, Hispanic folks' empowerment. Like it's, it's, it was all, you know, artists from all these different cultures who are just about empowerment. And I thought, great so come to urban erotica because it's about empowerment mm. and like yeah and they would come to the show <laughs> and would start writing at the show or would jump up and be like, okay i want to get on stage yeah. and then and so i have one artist i love i can shout her out now because she's family jay simone it was an artist she was one of those artists that said to me i'm it's about social justice um i don't do erotica she came to urban erotica and now she is certified in erotic um classes for couples um she is truly immersed in the work she, you know uh, erotic expos she's one of the most uh she's a urban erotica all-star um but again urban erotica was a place where it created a space that made it safe for you to be uh an artist of conscience mm. and sensual i asked early uh, on you you specified uh erotica um as not sex poetry and i'm what right. you said so what is the difference what do you see uh, is, is there a, so I actually don't know what the difference is, and then how um, is there a place for both of them, or is one sort of a, a lesser cousin of the other? Wow, that's a great question. Um, no one's ever asked to break that open. Um, and sex, but I, actually, I may be unfair to sex poetry, if you will. But they're they're just opportunists who know I can spend a good yarn about that ass and that them legs and your eyes, and if I could just if I could just twist them and spin them and, and kiss them and and by the end of the night, you be in my bed, poetry. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I'm, so there are people who are spitting this poetry because they want some ass at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. So that was the assumption about erotic poetry when we started Urban Erotica. Um, that it was a pickup. A pickup poetry. Pickup poetry. Yeah, pickup artist thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. pick artist thing um, which is not sex poetry. Sex poetry is erotic poetry. Poetry that really is delving into sex. Um, again, so I'm, I'm being unfair to, if there is a thing, if there is a, if there is a, sex poetry scene I'm being unfair to it but people assume that if you're doing erotic poetry you're just trying to it's a pickup move mm. um, or that was the assumption and there's still that assumption is still there 
Um, but ironically, there are people who wouldn't touch erotic poetry who are now producing it in the city and around the country because there's a market for it. Okay. Which is very, it's also ironic, ironic because these are artists who were all about, you know, anti, anti-marketplace, government, you know, capitalism, you know, and objectification. But now, but there's a market, there's a crowd around the corner for erotic poetry, so I got to get in on it. So, um, which is, which gives me even more um, drive to keep the Urban Erotica brand, if you will, the Urban Erotica vision um, out in, out in the world and, and taking it farther so that people understand what this conversation is about. What are the ways in which you're taking it farther currently and what's the shape of it today and where can people come see it? If they want oh, um, it's uh, by special, <laughs> special, pro- special performances these days. Um, there's so much going on in my life and in all of us. Uh, we can't do it monthly anymore, at least at this point. So, but we are uh, touring. Uh, September will be at Catalyst Con West, um, September 11th through the 14th. And while we're out there in L.A. doing Catalyst Con, we'll also be doing the John Lovitz Comedy Club um, on September 11th, ironically. And then, um, and then Catalyst Con for the rest of the weekend. Um, and then we're uh, talking to promoters in D.C. Um, again, The Cutting Room, Urban Erotica, will be back at The Cutting Room in, in June. And, and I'm also, we're looking for a venue in Atlanta. So right now, it's um, setting up shop in New York, L.A., D.C. and Atlanta. Okay, you know, spreading the love, Ooh. spreading the love, and so <laughs> that's the that's where we're that's where we're headed, and doing it quarterly. So the plan is to do it quarterly, starting in June. Ooh, yeah, and I'm so excited. This is uh, we have we are going to include some of Mo's poetry in this episode, and also some poetry from other people who participate in Urban Erotica. Slam. But I'm wondering, Slam and Magic Magic um, <laughs> I'm wondering, um, would you be cool to? Um, to right now throw down with the poem that you open every Urban Erotica with, yes. Welcome to My Kitchen. Yes, this is the poem that got me in this erotic trouble. So long before the shows, I'd written this poem about making love in a white kitchen, and it's evolved into just Welcome to My Kitchen. Okay. Can you smell that? Did you hear it? I can taste it. The romance in the air, the love on a slow, steady simmer. The sex in the oven and the lust that's been boiling for quite some time now. Welcome to my kitchen. You're about to be done. For an appetizer, I've taken the liberty of preparing a poo-poo platter of assorted foreplay. Hot fingers and cream toes individually wrapped in soft, wet kisses. They will be devoured at an easy and rhythmic pace. Nibbles behind your knees to tantalize and tickle your fancy. Warm, firm hugs to hold you steady through periodic trembling. Baked calves kneaded into sweet surrender, succulent thighs smothered in honey straight from your hive. They will be devoured at an easy and rhythmic pace. Nibbles behind your knees to tantalize and tickle your fancy. Warm, firm hugs to hold you steady through periodic trembling. Baked calves kneaded into sweet surrender, succulent thighs smothered in honey straight from your hive. They will be devoured at an easy and rhythmic pace. Yes. Ooh. Now slip off these clothes and put on these panties. Yes, the black ones. Custom made in silk and lace, seasoned in lavender and sandalwood, sautéed in your onion, in your fine ass. I can smell you, girl. You've been funking up my kitchen like grandma's collard greens cooked in fat back, a roasted bird full of a homemade stuff and baked macaroni <laughs> and cheese and sweet candy yams. You make me want to lay you up on a plate and sop you up with a biscuit. Lay hot butter to your muffin. Envelop your me- melons and hungry wet kisses until they drip with honeydew. 
and then my tongue will travel around your world in one long hot summer night until you are thoroughly marinated in pleasure and swollen with the desire. Then I'll wrap your luscious wings around me as I immerse myself in the pungent ambrosia of your fruit and you'll feel the nectar raining down our thighs and through our toes. Listen as the pots rattle, the kettle whistles, our bodies writhe and sway, swirl and bounce, wail and hiss. Listen as the geyser bursts up, the volcano erupts, the timpani exclaims, the neighbors complain as you and I are lost in drunken splendor, one with the universe, one with creation, one divine invention, love in my heart, wet, sticky. Funky, tasty kitchen. Welcome to my kitchen. You are definitely done. Oh, thank you, Mo. Uh, that is luscious. <laughs> ah, thank you. I imagine that sets the mood fairly well. Yeah, that's the, the the warmer, the belly warmer for the evening. Oh, thank you for oh. sharing that with us. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I also just um, so I know you are self-identified straight yes. dude. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yet yes. you're you act I'm a minority. In, in solidarity <laughs> uh, with queer folks yes. a lot. And I yeah. also got to attend a panel that you did on confronting homophobia in communities of color, which right is like prejudice. I've just been thinking of well, I, one just how much I don't know in the world and also how um how deeply important it is to be in touch with the intersections of different kinds of oppression racial oppression oh. and oppression around sexuality and i feel like to really hold that is is kind of overwhelming and um i I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit about the conversations that you have around confronting homophobia in communities of color and um and what sparked you, other than an obvious drive for justice for everyone, as as a self-identified straight dude, to, to act in solidarity uh, with queer people? It's funny. It, it's, it was so organic, um, and it sounds cliche, but it was. Like I don't. It wasn't a defining moment, other than it just made sense to me. And it, I guess the the resistance to homophobia, and I, one instance comes to mind, which actually inspired me to create the Pride and Prejudice panel discussion. I was a member of a church in, in Brooklyn, a, a very well-known church in Brooklyn, and I was a member of the men's ministry. And ironically, that night, I had gotten these brand-new postcards for my Urban Erotica series when I was doing it monthly. And so I'm going to the men's ministry, and I have these great new glossy photographs and this, these wonderful sensual images on the cover. And I was walking into the men's ministry, and I thought, well, I need to hide these in my bag. But then, but then you know, the next voice was no, because I'm not... I'm not, I'm not ashamed of urban erotica. I'm actually really proud of urban erotica. So my instinct was to put them on the table and let them sit there. Not for show, not for to grab anybody's attention, but that's just where, like, trying to stuff them in my bag. I wasn't going to mess I paid a lot of money for these new postcards. I wasn't stuffing them in a bag. So I put them on the, the, the table at this ministry meeting. And, of course, um, men as the men came in, they saw these glossy, and they grabbed them, and they looked at them, and, and they held them and before the meeting started. And so... It just opened up. It opened. I love. I mean, I'm actually proud of this because it started the meeting with conversations about sexuality and sex. Um, so we had men, and and as the meeting began, um, the facilitator of the meeting just did a check in, going around how you doing, what's going on, and from that we had men talking about their challenges with fornication, and then men, um, and then married men talking about their their challenges, their struggles with 
lusting after other women in the church. I love my wife, but I see these, this, this church is full of beautiful young women. And I, I, I find myself, uh, on, you know, I find myself having these lustful thoughts and having a hard time looking away when they come and dress so, you know, um, you know, wonderfully and sexy. And, and so the men prayed on it. And I've been a sex educator as well, trained through Planned Parenthood, Kaiser Permanente, Children's Aid Society. So I've had years of counseling. And so it was innate for me to just listen to this and say to the men that um, I know we've been taught in the church that if you have a sinful thought, you've committed the sin. I said, but we have to remember that that's an Old Testament idea. And that's not how we flow in this new, new, in the New Testament, in this new millennium. Um, so you did not com- you did not commit adultery because you had a lustful thought. You just did what human beings do. Men and women have these thoughts. That is natural. You had a natural thought. Um, because you are men of Christ, and you're Christian men, the sin is acting on it. And so that's the place where you've crossed some line. And so thinking on it is um, and, 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 and ab- abusing yourself with guilt on the thought actually will push you towards the act more than just admitting that I'm just having a, I'm having a natural sexual reaction to some, someone that I'm attracted to. So, um, release that guilt cause that's going, that's going to fester. And so we were able to have this very, um, liberating conversation around sexuality. And there were men who were my father and grandfather's age and men my age and younger. So there was a great conversation around of open and, um, open conversation about sex and sexuality in this men's ministry meeting in a church, in a Christian church, a Baptist church. And then ironically, the last item on the agenda was inviting men of the choir into the men's ministry meeting. And instantly the response was, well, they can come to the meeting if they just, you know, they, 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 they know they got to work on that faulty wiring. That's right. Like if they just, they got to leave that, they got to leave that lifestyle at the door before they come up in here. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. With the presumption that men of the choir are gay. Are gay. Oh yeah. I mean that's that's that that's that uh, elephant in the room in the black church is that the men in the you know the men in the choir tend to be tend to be gay, but we don't talk about it. But they can sing their faces off and they can praise they can praise the Holy Spirit like nobody else's business, um, and they are praised for that. But we just look the other way when they're somewhat flamboyant, effeminate, um, or outwardly gay. And so, um, and being effeminate or flamboyant doesn't necessarily mean you're gay, but it definitely says there's a greater feminine energy about you as a man in the church. And again, if you're in the choir, it's just kind of accepted and we just don't talk about it. Um, even though the belief is that, uh, homosexual lifestyle is, is an abomination. And so... A sexy, sexy abomination. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that just, you know, that gets us rapturous, you know, um, <laughs> which is rapturous in its, you know, in, in its song and what have you. Um, so in this, this men's ministry meeting about this, um, they were like, okay, they can come to the meeting if they um, just check that lifestyle at the door, that behavior. Mm. And so I was like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. We got to talk about that. And so I engaged the men and I challenged them to say, you know, there were men at the beginning of this meeting who confessed to fornicating, who confessed to having adulterous thoughts, married men. And we prayed about, we prayed up, we prayed up, we gathered around, we circled up around them. We prayed for them. We prayed on it. Um, These two beings, some of the top 10 sins, you know, from, you know, from the Bible. Um, But thou shall not be gay is not in the top 10. Um, And ironically, 
um, that pastor of that church had a series on sexuality the prior summer and talked about the fact that there are only two places in the Bible that reference same sex interaction. And one is actually a rape in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he said, that's not really a homosexual act. That's a rape on one male to another. And so all of, all of us who I love to quote the good book has <clears throat> telling you that homosexuality is, is an abomination and a sin, like hold your role. Cause that's not what the good book says. And so, um, so in, so in that meeting, I reminded those men of that and then um, reminded them that, okay, they were accepting of their adulterous or adulterously thinking brothers and their fornicating brothers, but a brother who may be gay or homosexual or transgender um, or bisexual is not welcome here and they can't bring that part of themselves in the room? Why? And I had some of the most um, uh, passionate resistance to the point where actually there was a, a man in the room who was the most passionate um against against men of the choir being in the meeting being in the men's ministry corner me after the meeting to say that i have thoughts about men but i don't act on it and i was like wow that's classic like the guy who's screaming the most about mm. no the gay the gay brothers in the choir the, in the congregation can't come to the men's ministry meeting is the brother who's wrestling with his sexuality the most i was like that's classic and so I knew then that this conversation needed to be had on a huge level, um, and especially um, coming from a culture that has led the civil rights movement in this country for rights, um, for people of color, for, um, for women, um, to to be so outwardly and unabashedly bigoted was, is a problem for me. And, um, so I had to do something about it. And what the first thing I did was started to produce same sex shows during pride month in New York for urban erotica. So we did it for three years, like 2007 to 2009. And, and ironically again, and this is again, urban erotica now is coming up on 10 years in New York and now it's established more and it's accepted in the poetry world and then I then I make you know once folks really get comfortable with uh, revolutionary poets and social social justice poets doing erotica you know once folks got comfortable with that and then I just then I go and produce a same sex love fest and there are people in the poetry scene to this day who don't have anything to do with urban erotica because what is what I've heard back is that Mo Beasley has lost his mind he doing that gay shit over there. And so, and when I did the same sex show, um, there were artists that I reached out to and artists that I got introduced to artists like Renair Amen, who's mm. now minister Renair Amen. Can I, I, at the <laughs> urban erotica show that I saw minister Renair Amen Ooh. read from the Bible, from the song of Solomon exactly. as her poetry. And she has this presence that like, Every word from her made it made me have chills all over my whole body, yes. and it was one of the most beautiful Ooh. and most sexy things I've ever I've ever seen. Oh, thank you! <laughs> oh, I know she'll she amazing. Oh, you know she'll hear this, and we'll, I'm going to tell her about it tonight. Thank you, because she needs to hear that, because that was a struggle for her. One to bring that conversation when she started when we started doing the same sex shows with Urban Erotica, she brought a group with her that she was leading called P Minor. And it was a group of lesbian poets and they embraced Urban Erotica and 
immediately. And she led that. And then she had a calling to do something different. And she laid P minor to rest and she became minister. Amen. And I reached, I'm reaching back to her from her life as a neurotic poet. And now she's a minister. And we've had these conversations. We had in-depth conversations about the fact that the sacred and the, the sacred and the sexual and the erotic are, are not supposed to be split. Like that's part of our social societal problem. Like we're split from our, our sensual erotic self our physical self and our spiritual self. And somehow those things are supposed to be, you know, apart. And that's ridiculous. So we've had great conversations and that, and, and let her know that she, as a minister had, you know, a very powerful and unique opportunity as a lesbian minister, you know, a black lesbian minister poet. Like she has a unique, you know, opportunity to speak to so many folk. Um, So um, when we started the same sex shows, she was co-producing with me. And then Reggie Kabiko, like Reggie Kabiko is a star. He's just, everybody knows Reggie, Reggie Kabiko. So I don't even know when Reggie and I first met. I just know, I think when we did the shows, either I said, you know, who do you think should be in Just quick intersection. He is a star, but those who don't know, he is this uh, fabulous <laughs> queer and Asian slam poet. Lapino won all poet, these yes. awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah deaf poet, twice on HBO Deaf Poetry Jam. The, to this day, uh, the most winningest uh, slam poet in the country. He has won the National Slam Poetry Competition more than any poet ever. We will have a poem <laughs> of his later on this episode. Yeah. Stick around. Yeah. So. And so, on to your questions. Um, or question. Maybe just one today. We might just do one. Because it's a little bit of a doozy. Yeah, and, and we want to save time for, for poetry. So. And I think it might seem like it might not be a doozy, but I think it's a bit of a doozy. <laughs> and what is this doozy, Shall Dave? Shall we? Bring it. Let him. <laughs> I'm a guy who moved recently to the Midwest. I've been on a few first dates with women where, when the bill comes, the lady in question becomes transfixed by some architectural feature of the room until I take the hint and pick up the tab. This is new to me, although some of my male friends have complained of the same thing. What's the etiquette? Specifically, if I'm not really a men-should-pay-women-for-the-pleasure-of-their-company kind of guy, is there a way I can cough, cough, bring that up without sounding like a total dick? <laughs> I do think this is more complex than it first comes across because yeah. my Ooh. first instincts here are like, we'll say, uh, I'd love to cover this this time. You get next time. But that's a little bit passive aggressive too. Like that's not really dealing with what's there. And I also think that there's like, I would love to address this question head on like, what could one do in this situation? But then also, I'm really excited that this came in the con- this context today because something that we've been defining is just has been our agenda with this podcast all along. It becomes more and more clearly our agenda is any sex relationships, dating, family, love questions, situating that within a larger social justice framework and how all these things are so inextricable from each other. And so all of our grievances are connected. So I I do want to address this question at face value, but I also am excited for the opportunity to talk to like unpack. Oh God, all beneath us. Right. You're you're uh, you're a Midwesterner originally. Was this? Got started. I own it. You can take the girl out of the West, but you can't take the Midwest other girl. I mean, I'm so I'm so <laughs> fucking plucky, and I've tried to not be, and I just you know that's the pluck just, So where? I will never be a badass. Was this trained? You are a badass. Was this trained into you? Do you feel like this is a, this was the assumption when you started to to think about dating that boys men paid? For me personally, absolutely. But okay. I mean, I was raised 
super fundamentalist Christian and thought I'd, you know, definitely get married in this certain way and in this and romanticize that and loved that idea. But that was connected, I think, as much or more to my faith than to my Midwesternness. So okay. I, and I do think that this question is bigger than Midwesternness. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. It's so I have to, so that th- is kind of new to me. I don't know. I don't know where the writer is moving from. Um, uh, I mm. know that um, my experience with 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 dating women in New York has been that the assumption will be that we split it, and that the only time that's ever not been true was when I was dating. I, I went on a, a first date with a lady, and she offered to pick up the check, and mm. I said, "Okay, oh, uh, right. sure, I'm happy to split it." And she said, "Yeah, but I sort of want to fuck with traditional gender roles here." And, <laughs> this. and I said, "Absolutely." I do think New York bubble is different. I think okay. that the, oh, the norm yeah. would be what this uh, this person okay. who wrote in mm-hmm. encountered, and what it strikes me as, and it's just. Part of our mission statement is you should talk to each other about things or try, you know, we had the state saying you should do anything, but kind of, well, that I do say pretty much, pretty much other things. But, um, (laughs) but is there a way like in the moment, like without being a total dick, like my instinct is like, just let it roll in the moment, but then bring it up as a larger conversation later if it's somebody that you actually want to date, but then that's. Okay. What do you think? Well, my, my first thought is whoever. Whoever made the invitation, whoever set the date, should intend to pay. I want to take you, I want to go here. Whoever says that and sets that up, the check is on you, is my first thought. Intriguing. And that's been my experience in New York. But also, I'm always prepared to pay. Mm-hmm. If a woman's asked, and it's funny because I know that women also have been raised and, tr- and taught and trained to have their own money even on a date. And so that if... If if old boy is a dick, you can take care of your own check. Or if, you know, you know, and if the day doesn't go well, and you definitely want to be able to take care of your check. And so, um, yeah, I just was, I, I'm always of the mind if, again, if especially in New York City, and I know, again, New York is very different. New York and L.A. are these, you know, off the coast of America. Um, the Midwest is different. But in New York, um, in this age of women... Um, you know, post-feminist, um, having, you know, charging their own destiny, um, equal with men and that move. If you invite, if you invite me out to lunch or to dinner, I expect that you are planning to pay. But again, um, but I'm prepared, but I prepare for if you're not. But I don't think we're in a post-feminist society. Like, you know, I mean, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of widespread thinking around this, but I feel like isn't it pro- I, I because more often than not the the like in in a heteronormative context mm-hmm. the 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 guy is the one right ten, tends or tends to initiate asking on the date mm-hmm. I think that that's embedded in all this too I agree yeah. and isn't that problematic yes. and how to, like that's a whole other set of so, so that's of cans of worms, <laughs> right? Uh, yes. the, can, the, the, the cans of worms store. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm. So uh, I would never have known that this is a thing. I don't feel like I've ever been on a date where it was going to be assumed that I paid, and I think that I'm like happy about that. Um, cool, but n- I feel like newly med- midwestern man. Now that you know, I feel <laughs> like this is something that it's okay to bring up in advance. Yes, when you're planning it, Please. if you meet somebody yes. IRL, if you meet somebody on a social networking dating site, to be like, "Hey, when we go out, how would you prefer to take care of the check?" You can bring it up in that context, and then you can, and then if if she's 
says. Preemptively? I think so. Why Whoa. not? You think okay, well, how would you do it at the moment? If the check comes, do you just stare her down until she takes her eyes off the off the buttress and be like, Oh, there's so no good this? way. There's no good way, I think. Oh, you know, you gotta um you know the 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 way I've I've experienced it more often than not is in conversation, just about past relationships, someone brings it up. And it almost it's almost just a way to let you know how I how I view this situation. You know, I've experienced yeah. more often than not when women say, you know, I was on this date with this guy and he invited me da, 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 and then didn't have money for the check or, you know, those kinds of things. Or you just, you know, you not about the particular date, but just talking about your experiences. And those become the things that you talk about now. Like, how do you deal with um, how do you deal with first dates? How do you deal with the talk about STDs? How do you deal with, the, you know, your your status? Like it comes. It's all packed in that. We got to talk about your status. We got to talk about your attitude. Folding these conversations in, but Mm -hmm. I do think it's complex on a first date, and I'm having, I'm feeling a little stuck on this. But no part of me feels like you shouldn't address it. I feel like, (laughs) I I feel like definitely this is something that, like, yeah, have a conversation about this if you can beforehand. That's great. In the moment, I think it's the hardest, but maybe there's some graceful way to do it. But if none of those are an option, I do think that, like definitely the next time you're hanging out to like address it really head on or, or to say like, but whoa, you're disagreeing with me. Go for <laughs> really it. Do it. Do it. What do you, what do you say in the moment? If this, if this happened to you, Dave, yeah. what would you say? Um, as, as the check is being dropped off being like, so you want to split this? Good. Right. And then that gives her the opportunity to say yes or no. And if she says no, or she's offended by it, then you really know who you're dealing yeah. with. Uh, and it's like, okay, yeah. Then you. Oh, so traditional gender roles then? <laughs> <laughs> you can and you can do it. I mean, I I feel like address it head on. I mean, I really feel like I, like like um or, or I think that you said that that's passive aggressive to say you want me to get this one, and you can get the next one, you know. Or if this is going well, like you you know, bring it up that way. I think that that would be okay too. But I feel like as it's dropped off, it's okay to say, do you want to split this? And then if she is resistant to that, then um. <laughs> They'll open up a good conversation to have. Yes. Like, oh, yes. interesting. I'm happy to pay for it. I have, I have, mm. I have the $37 in my checking account to pay for this. Yeah. But why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Right. That is very simply put, and I, I agree with that. That that's a good move. You want to split this if you feel in that. Yeah. Situation. Right. And then if- we have you back. Let's have a whole. <laughs> let's reopen Ooh. all of these conversations yes. and address like how, like where does queerness and gender complexity fit oh. into this conversation that we're talking about like man or woman pay for the check we're so we so don't have time to go there today but oh let it be goodness. acknowledged that that's a whole oh, that's yeah. a whole thing yeah. that that I we desire to talk about do they have this problem yeah, yeah. Who's picking up the check? That, like we just did this i feel like again this is a doozy of a conversation and we we were pretty much only talking about heteronormative gender, right uh-huh. sexual relationships uh-huh. And it's already this much of a doozy. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. Oh my God. And listeners, let us know if you have thoughts on any and all of this. And uh, let Mo, let's continue all of these conversations in the yeah, I future. Think we, I think we, yeah, I think we're going to get a lot of yeah. <laughs> feedback. And on to quickies. Yeah. So uh, my quickie is very, very quick. It's, um, uh, in my opinion, one of the best tweets of all time. And something that you said earlier made, made me think of it. It's from uh, Siege at Siege Joiner. And uh, the tweet is, pickup artists and garbage men should switch names. Oh! Wow. Okay. 
<laughs> my quickie is also very quick. Um, I just want to endorse this collection of poetry and uh, slam poetry that uh, Reggie Capico helped uh, curate. It's called Flicker and Spark, a, a queer anthology of spoken word and poems. And um, I haven't read it all, but I think it's, but what I've seen is just an awesome collection of stuff. So if you're hungry for more from that kitchen, um, <laughs> go to. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, clear the path. Clear the path of division and hate and fear. And when you clear the path, you allow God to walk up in the space. And then we can call it art. And we can call it love. A love storm. And special segment just on this episode in honor of Urban Erotica. We've got special segment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Yep. We just did that. Okay. Um, uh, we have three more poems mm. for you. We have a hot off the press poem from Mo Beasley that very directly relates to what we were just talking about. And then also Reggie Kabiko, who we mentioned, who's such an all-star rock star. Um, he, uh, we're going to do his, his poem um, called What Kind of Guys Are Attracted to Me, which I find so profound and so hilarious. This is from uh, uh, Def Jam Poetry. And then the one that just shook me to my core when I heard it at Urban Erotica, this uh, poet who goes by Slam, she wrote a poem called Bliss. In Urban Erotica, there's a segment called Bliss. And so she framed it as like, you want me to write about bliss? Like, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even like taste that word in my mouth. Uh. And then she wrote this poem about her uh, and her love um, uh, in reaction to, to that prompt from Mo. So here we have those three poems. She told me her dick was bigger and actually wondered why I no longer wanted to be her man nor her nigger. These new millennium dimensions of men and women have minds spinning. If she be the man, then who's the woman? Breadwinners bear the brunt, gather nuts. If he and she gather, build, and hunt, who rears and nurtures daughters and sons? In this land of milk and money, the fattest pockets call the shots. Money making Manhattan is the mode, size zero is the hero, six or bigger, dark or thicker, is a stone-cold man-killer, or so the enemy would have us believing. How do we keep our music playing against the madness, traditions, masses? Can I still be the man if a, with a pocket full of poems and bottomless wellspring of words and wisdom that enlighten the moments and enrich the ages? I figured out what kind of guys are attracted to me. And I'm single, so um, the kind of guys that are attracted to me are usually anthropologists. Because they're into my bone structure. They come up to me at a bar and they say, could I tell you something real personal? You remind me of an Aztec priest. Well, that gets me excited. Why don't I come over to your apartment tonight and sacrifice your kitten to Montezuma? <laughs> but then they say, you Asians got the best skin. What do you use? <laughs> well, we use the pearl cream. 
He buys me a glass of draft bass and asks if I am Japanese. His remarks, you are the perfect combination of boy and man. No, I'm not Japanese, but are you the hip, hot, hong, nine inches of fun, sinking the slim, smooth, smiling, authentically Thai-tasting, geisha guy on the side, macho dancer looking for his lord and master, M. Butterfly Wedding Banquet Joy Fuck Club? <laughs> I am not the Korean dragon lady running down Avenue A on heels with a teapot between my legs shouting... Where's my tip? Give me my trophy. You want to play with me? You can. Just quit orientalizing because I ain't going to change my cotton and Calvins for you or my mother if I lose. I ain't going to fry you an emperor's meal or throw you Eurasia or butterfly you an opera. <laughs> I'm through giving sex toys of UNICEF countries. Third world is for hunger and fat Sally Struthers. I am not a teriyaki toy, a rice queen's dream, a bowl of soy sauce to dip your meat in. I've long been the it in a rice queen phenomenon that's burned faster than gin bottles thrown at the black of my skillets. Games so old as Jason and Hercules, men fucking my body like fresh golden fleeces. They ride my boyhood in bikes in the woods. Then rape it and kill it with leashes, spit words in personal ads, those clever written puzzles. For fun, they blood brother baptize my emotions, then martyr my sisters in the backroom basements. I am through with charades. I'm through with your malice and your riots like hopscotch. I am not gonna fight it. I am beyond being poker-faced, mysterious, submissive, wanted by you or a being who's glossy and GQ queen gorgeous. You want to play freeze tag? I'm frozen already. Touch me, you'll swear I'm the Iceman's ice monkey. Hit me and watch where the mahjong chips land. Lust me, I'll soon feel the back of your hand. Play with me then if you think the sweet that's left to the taste in my tongue is enough and not bitter. Love me for this. I forfeit the game. Remove my makeup and call you the winner. She says we are like a puzzle, we fit together like a puzzle, and she intends that to mean that we complete each other. But I hear it as we are both broken and looking for pieces of the us we once knew. But I'm not a puzzle or lost pieces, not broken dreams or shattered reality. I don't say any of that to her. I say, I am only me. She laughs and stretches out on my bed, unaware that what she just said will replay itself inside of me and replay itself in my head. And I will confuse these precious moments into something that needs to be analyzed. She's looking for redemption. I can see it in her eyes. She asks, will you ever write a poem about me? How can I write something that is already written? I whisper this so that it lacks conviction. I tell her that she is copywritten. And to write about her would require the divine's permission. But the truth is, but the truth is, to write about her would require grave indifference because I'm too fucked up of a person to write about bliss.
so I tell her her poem already exists. She lights up from the inside when I close my eyes. I replay that inside and print that on my mind so that I could lie and be honest at the same time. She reaches for my hair, caresses my face, touches my arm and lingers at my waist. She taps a slow song into the inside of my thigh and proceeds to tongue kiss her dignity and pride. She tells me her story using only her kiss. But I'm too fucked up of a person to write about bliss. She asks me if I know how special I am. I do, I say, because there's no need to pretend that I don't know who I am or what I come with, that with or without her, I'm an emotional terrorist, that I carry inside me seeds that have been planted, that don't fucking grow up, they only grow slanted. My dysfunction runs deep. I don't fucking sleep and I will never give her anything that she can fully keep. I'm a contradiction, hypocrisy, dead man walking travesty, ruthless, manipulative, my love's always been sloppy. Twisted inside, I see more beauty on the flip side because I'm too fucked up of a person to write about bliss. I'm jaded, indifferent, my heart is a fist. And I will write about her the way that I see fit in hindsight and memory before we became this, this wholly unnecessary one-sided game. I love you when you love me, but never quite the same. I love you in theory and you love me when near me. I love you as an idea. Let that register so that you see the signs. Hurt you with reality and fuck you with your own mind. Touch you, taste you, sneak up from behind. Sade myself inside your love. Is it a crime? Rob you of self-esteem or personal development. Infuse you with fuck until you become celibate. Carry my torch until your eyes blind like justice. Burn you from the inside. Fuck innocent. You wanted this. You wanted a poem. Didn't you say we fit? My special is too fucked up to ever write about bliss. But you're special too. Don't be confused, but you're special is codependent and I'm not into being used. I can barely carry the journey I'm on. I can barely see past your rhythm and charm. I can just make out the extent of your deficiencies, fallacies, generalities, pretty painted atrocities. Fucked up attracts fucked up. The way that like seeks like, the way that judge becomes jury, the way that walk becomes hike, the way it becomes harder to stay in something you know you need to leave, but you stay anyway because it's easier to breathe. I will love her though, just not in a way that will leave her with anything that she can salvage, but maybe better than she was before, smarter about who she opens up with. And maybe that is my special gift. My talent is punishment. Seek out the weak and make them say, fuck this. So that's it for episode 13. Thank you again so much to Mo and an extra shout out to Prisca Wenger, PriscaWenger.com, the amazing artist who did our logo and is helping us with our website banner. And also to Alex Mallory, who is generously helping us rebuild our website to be as user-friendly and awesome as possible. If anybody out there needs a website done, I can't recommend Alex highly enough. Um, before we wrap, I would like to share this wonderful, wonderful story that a listener wrote into us, a uh, reaction actually to episode six. 
So this person says, hi, Stephanie and Dave. I'm a little behind on my podcast listening. I'm really enjoying it, but I'm only through episode six. But I had to comment on the discussion on the best friend's wife story from Love Actually. I do actually like the movie, but for a different reason. In its own way, it does comment on some issues that few rom-coms do. Falling in love with the quote-unquote wrong person is one, as are what to do when the person you love dies or cheats and how to move on. Admittedly, all end with corny and too hastily fixed solutions, but it does at least mention that love is not always without hurt. That said, the scene in question has always made me uncomfortable, and I think Dave's comical synopsis really hit the nail on the head. But for me, it's more than that. I have lived this situation and I wanted to share. The story is slightly simplified where the true details are insignificant. My best friend from high school went off to college and not long after he left, I went to visit. While there, I met a girl that I was really into. She was fun, interesting, intelligent. She was cute, if not exactly my type. Unfortunately, I was not in the best place to start a relationship. I was just in the process of a messy and emotional breakup, and to make matters worse, I lived on the other side of the state. Meanwhile, my friend had developed a crush on another girl, one who might have had the looks, but who was of little substance. And much after much internal debate, I encouraged my friend to pursue the girl I had met. Indeed, she was even more his type in the looks department. Years passed, and I thought I had finally recovered from the breakup. I was having a hard time meeting the right girl. I found myself becoming deeply attracted to my friend's now long-term girlfriend. Yes, they were still together. I found myself flirting with her and attempting to impress her. This had been mostly subconsciously, but as I became aware, I felt I had one real duty, to tell my friend. We had a long conversation in which I told him of my feelings, and that I expected that the cause was my drought more than true feelings, but that I wanted him to know so that he could help me maintain the boundaries of friendship all around. It was an awkward conversation. I would have, it would have been much easier to secretly confess my feelings to her, maybe even to steal a little kiss as they did in the movie. But that is not what friends do. In the end, it all worked out. Not long after, I met the woman who is now my wife of nearly eight years who I love completely. My friend introduced us. He and, his, the, and the girl in the story are married, too, having gotten married two weeks after ours, the date scheduled to allow for our honeymoon. I can't imagine what life might have been had I thrown caution and my friendships to the wind. Communication is always best. Oh, thank you so much, you who wrote in with that story. It gives me chills. Yay, authenticity and communication are the sexiest, and you should talk to each other about things. Um, on our next episode, we have Jana Vrangalova. Jana is a sex re researcher, blogger, and educator, and the main focus of what she studies is how different aspects of sexuality, especially casual sex and promiscuity, and mostly heterosexuality, are linked to health and well-being. And she's got a great uh, bi-weekly blog about the science of casual sex on psychology today. So send us your thoughts, questions, ideas around casual sex and we would look forward to bringing them up with her. And so that links to our crowdsource question. Oh man, I hate singing this on my own, but I'll do it. Crowdsource question, yeah, there you go. Um, 
the crowdsource question is, my question is about Tinder. I am from Montreal and most users in Montreal clearly understand the app to be for hookups. The dirty talk routinely begins within five minutes of the first chat, but that doesn't seem to be the case at all here in Chicago, where I've recently moved, which really throws me off balance. The sexual culture here strikes me as being somewhat conservative. I don't even know how to use Tinder anymore since many local users appear to be turned off by the very idea of hooking up. Is there a Midwestern protocol to follow, or am I bound to use Tinder as if it were another version of Match.com? So everybody, but especially Midwesterners, we need your wisdom here. But also, beyond responding to this question, we are just curious about your thoughts and ideas around hookup culture and Tinder and casual sex in general. Um, we would love to hear anything you'd like to hear us address with John of Rangelova next time. And as always, we just can't say enough how much we deeply, deeply value being in conversation with you and how much we love hearing from you and how much we know we're learning and growing. And um, we would love to hear from you any thoughts or objections or questions you have. And also, if you dig what we do, do consider going to patreon.com slash sex for smart people and throwing us a buck or two per episode. That would help keep us afloat and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in and for downloading and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Minister, when there are men, Reggie Kabiko and Slam are the sexiest. Juicy uses of language in bed and out are the sexiest. Sanmi451 is the sexiest. <laughs> <laughs>